Philippians chapter 3. Now last week we looked at um, the false teachers thinking in a different way. There could be Jesus plus something else in order to be saved. If you just have these works-based mentality, then you can be saved from your sin. And today we're going to be looking at verses uh, 4 through uh, 9. We're actually going to focus on 4 through 8a, but we'll read through verse 9 together. But as we begin, as we're thinking about this passage, uh, a video popped up in my news feed this week, and of course it happens right after, I don't know if you've seen this already, the Clemson quarterback uh, of the Clemson National uh, Championship team. You know, it seems to only surface once they win a championship. I don't know if you've noticed this, that some of these videos where these players are talking about their faith in Jesus Christ, and it seems like they only come up uh, once they do something really big or something. But I want to show you this video because it's, it's one of these clips where, um, again, we are not saying that just be like this kid, uh, but it was amazing to me to see how even somebody who's a freshman in college on this big national stage was able to explain clearly uh, who he is in Christ. I thought um, it was good. I've just, that's just kind of always been my personality. Um, and then just growing up, my family's always like, I mean, football's, football's important to me, obviously, but it's just, it's not my life. It's not, uh, it's not like the biggest thing in my life, I would say. Uh, well, my faith is. So that just comes from kind of knowing, um, knowing who I am outside of that. So I just know no matter how big the situation is, it's not really going to define me. Just, just putting my identity and you know what what Christ says, what, who th- He thinks I am, and who I know that He says I am. So, really, like I said, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what people think about me or how good they think I play or whatever. You know, it doesn't really matter. So, that's definitely be, been a big thing for me, just uh, in my situation, just knowing that and having confidence in that. Hmm, seems like he's been listening to my messages, having confidence. I think, think he's been listening in. Actually, that was back in September, so he wasn't listening in at all. But I love how he said how just, you know, football's important to me, but that's not who I am. That's not what defines me. And I love how he articulated it well. It's who he is in Christ. And we're going to be talking about who we are in Christ a little bit. We're going to focus maybe more on that next week. Um, but this week, our, our love for Christ, the accomplishments that we can gain. And I sure hope he has the same testimony after winning the national championship. I hope he has that same testimony, sharing with people, yeah, I won the championship, but, you know, that, again, that doesn't define who I am. And I'm, and I'm sure he will, and, and we, we should pray for this young man, because as he is under the spotlight, it's, it's tough to stay true to Christ under the spotlight. So let's be praying for that, that young man. But for this morning, we're going to be looking at, and our big idea is, having Christ is more valuable than... I don't want you to fill in that blank yet. I want us at the end of the message, I want you to fill in that blank. Having Christ is more valuable than, and then we're going to fill it in. So last week we looked at how it's essential to know that these false teachers are out there. We need to be on guard against them, but we need to find our true salvation in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Scripture over and over again says it's only through Christ. So then Paul, as he's explaining this and is sharing about these false teachers, how they want to add to their salvation, their works, he then says in so many words, if you want to play that game of who's the better individual, who's the better human, he says, I can play it better than you. 
Paul looks at the, if Paul's salvation was based on his works, he then, his salvation game was on point. He had it all covered. So let's go through verses 3 through 9, and let's take a look at this together. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this passage. We're thankful for the challenge that it brings. We'd ask that you would humble our hearts before your word this morning, that we will um, seek to desire to know you more because of what your word says. I pray that you'll help me uh, to be humble as I, I preach this word. Um, help me to be honest and open as I share uh, this truth with your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the first three things that Paul is going to show off um, as he's trying to show off why he has more reason and more confidence to boast is based on his heritage, on who he is. Not the works that he accomplished, but based on just who he is. And he starts first with being circumcised on the eighth day. Literally, this is meaning with respect to circumcision, I'm an eighth dayer. So he's saying... Okay, when we're following the law, I'm an eighth-dayer. I didn't get converted later on. I didn't just, my parents didn't say, okay, let's figure out this Jewish mosaic law thing for a while. We'll see if we like it. Then if that's the case, then we'll have you circumcised. No, it was from the get-go. He's like, right out of there. He said he's right following the Jewish mosaic law. He's applying everything to his life. He's an eighth-dayer. That's how Jewish he is. He says he's of the people of Israel. This was referring to him being a pure-blooded Jew. Um, there was no mixing of Gentile and Jewish blood in his heritage. He could call himself all the way back to uh, his descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he, the Jewish people really are the ones who call themselves of the people of Israel. So he's saying, okay, from the beginning... Also, my parents and their parents and their parents, we were all Jewish, all of us. We're as Jewish as they come. And then he said, to put the icing on the cake, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. This was the good tribe, if you had to pick one. Most prominent, uh, this is the tribe that Israel's first king came from, King Saul. This is also Paul's name before his conversion. His name was King Saul. 
Um, and so this was the only faithful tribe to Judah in the house of David after the death of Solomon. So to be of the tribe of Benjamin, that was like top tier. Like you're the best of the best. So here he's saying, I'm a Jew from the very beginning of my life to my parents and grandparents, even, even of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, I have got it all. It's all happening for me. My heritage, you can trace it back. There's no conversions. We were all Jewish from the beginning. So I beat you in that area. And then he goes into some of his works. A Hebrew of Hebrew, he says. Hebrew of Hebrews. This is showing that not just that he was born within the Hebrews, but also shows that he continued in the Jewish traditions. While there are many people who were called Hellenists, Back then, these were Jewish people who adopted the Greek culture and just kind of lived as Greek individuals. Paul said, no, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not one of these Hellenists. In Acts 26.4, it says this, So then all Jews, my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. So he has a case, and other people know it. This guy, he was Jewish to the core. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He learned Hebrew. He knows it. He is educated in all the Jewish customs. Again, he's not a convert. He's somebody who is faithful to the Jewish people. He is a Hebrew of Hebrew, keeping all of the customs. He does all that it takes to be a Hebrew. And yes, there's a reason why we're going through all of this. As to the law, he said, a Pharisee. Now, we typically talk about the Pharisees as the bad guys, right? They're the bad guys in the Bible because, well, Jesus calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them hypocrites, and they're the ones who put Jesus on the cross, had him arrested, and all of that. So, rightly so, these are the bad guys in the Bible. But, put yourself again back in first century Israel with the Pharisees were the ones who knew the law the best, These were like the smartest, most godly people that everyone would want to emulate. So when he's saying, as the law, I'm a Pharisee, he's like, I know the law inside and out. I reached that high level, that high religious standard, religious achievement. He also says himself, he's like, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, he told the Sanhedrin. And so he knows the law. He understands it. He has reached that top echelon of knowing God's word. <laughs> As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Again, it sounds like a bad thing, right? It is. It is a bad thing. But to these Pharisees, to these false teachers who said you have to have works of the law in order to be saved, he's showing to them. He's again proving, look at me, all that I've done. He shows off his passion for his heritage and for God by his zeal in persecuting the church before he was a converted and came to know Christ. This is a bad thing that he was doing, but for the Jewish people, they would have probably viewed that as a good thing. Because here we have Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, and now a bunch of the Jewish people are starting to follow him, leaving the Mosaic Law, leaving the works-based salvation, and now they're following Jesus and taking all these people away, and they're like, we better, we better get them back. 
or they're abandoning us. He claimed, that guy claimed to be God. Let's, I mean, they already killed him. They should probably kill his followers as well if they're believing this blasphemy, as they would think. So not everybody was so passionate to go after the Christians, but Paul was. That I was zealous, you know, for this Mosaic law. Not only did I know it, but I was willing to make sure nobody else followed this Jesus person. I was zealous in order to persecute the church. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approves of the execution of Stephen, who is just proclaiming the gospel to people. In verse 3, it says, but Saul was ravaging the church. This is Paul's name, in case you weren't familiar. Uh, Saul changed his name to Paul when he came to know Christ. So Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In Acts 9.1, it says, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It was on his way to um, Damascus, right? Damascus, yeah. (laughs) On his way to Damascus, (laughs) sorry, brain relapse here, Um, that Christ came, intervened, and saved him from his sins. But he was that passionate, that charismatic, that you would want in a Pharisee. Somebody who would really go after the people who believed something else. That's what you want. As to righteousness, blameless. Again, referring to his understanding before coming to know Christ. This understanding that he could achieve righteousness before God. As long as he follows the law, not only is he a Pharisee, he knows it well, but not only he's zealous, but he follows it in his own personal life. He said, righteous, I do all the things that you need to do in order to be saved. The reason why we go through all of that together, we might not understand some of these on the outset, but as Paul would explain this to the Philippians, they would all understand what case he is making for himself. This is an amazing slam dunk case of if somebody is going to be saved by works, it's going to be this guy. And then what does he say in verse 7? Paul had it all. He had the pedigree. He had the works. He accomplished everything he needed to. He's the Michael Jordan of the Jewish people, right? Top level. And then in verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That's why we took some time to build up this huge case for Paul. For him to say, I know it all, I understand the law better than anyone, I know this well, I followed it myself, I was zealous persecuting the church, and I'm here to tell you that's not how you're saved. (laughs) I know it all. So it's not that people can say, well, he just doesn't understand, he, Paul, doesn't know. No, he he knows it. He, He was with them. He was once friends with these people. But now, coming to know Christ, he has to consider it a loss. He laid out a great case for himself, and he points it right back to them and says, it's not worth it. The gain that he had, he's actually counted as loss. How many of you out there love math? Oh, wow, more than I thought. Fantastic. How many of you have to just deal with math on like a regular basis? Maybe you don't love it, but you have to work with it. Okay. Good, so this chart might make sense, it might not make sense, but it seems like fuzzy math that he's going through. In account is as loss. That usually doesn't make sense in math terms, and I'm not a super big math guy at all, so um, you guys can all correct me later. But when he's talking about how to become 
a friend of God versus how to become an enemy God. Paul had this all laid out. He's like, okay, so once I knew these were all things that I would count on as gain. I was Jewish from the start, had Jewish parents. I'm of the best tribe. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, persecutor. I'm blameless. All those things that he put in the gain column for him to say, I know Christ. And you don't have to write all these out if you don't want to. There's going to be some extra blanks in your chart. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But we have this friend of God and all of this that he thought was going to be gain for him. All of it he thought, I can do all of these things in order to access God. I have to do that. But then when he says, I count it as loss, fun with PowerPoint. Ooh, like that. I'll do it again. How fun is that? Isn't that, isn't that fun? I, I love PowerPoint. It's great. He counts it as loss. He's like, actually, those things that I was doing that I thought would gain me Christ actually just prove the point, as we saw last week as well, actually just show you how much of a sinner you really are. Shows you that you're an enemy of God. If you think you can work your way to God to become a friend of God by the works that you accomplish, he's like, you can. It's actually counted as a loss. It's counted as negative. And I know all you people filling out in your bulletins, you hate crossing things out, but I'm glad you did. You need to cross it out. That's why I put it over on the right side in the first place so that you can write it over there seeing these things that I might try to work for to earn my salvation, you have to cross it out and put it in the other column. You have to. In order for you to gain Christ, you have to first see that as a negative against you, that it's only through Christ that you can be saved. He thought everything that he was doing would make him right, but it was not. Isaiah 64, 6a says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All the righteous works, all the things we thought were in the right-hand column, actually, they're a filthy rag. They're really all in the left-hand column. Any good works that we accomplish in our desire to be with Christ is actually a strike against us. Because we are believing that we can do something to attain this salvation. But we're not just going to focus on our uselessness again of trying to save ourselves. We talked about that last week. And as you can see how these kind of overlap in these, uh, these messages here. But today we're really going to focus on putting our confidence in Christ because he is better. It's only through Christ that we are saved. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss. Verse 7. For the sake of Christ. What a tremendous statement is made here. This is one of those statements that really shows his humility before Christ. Because we all could probably, a lot of things in our life, a lot of good accomplishments we have. Like, yeah, I'm good at what I do. Right? You want to say we're good at our jobs because look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. I mean, there's a lot of resumes coming across our desk, and it's a lot of, look what I've done. There's some that we're getting of, I did this, I did that, I do, I do these things. We're like, so what did God do? <laughs> Maybe in a couple of those resumes. Did God do any of that? But we can have all these accomplishments in our life and, and things that you've worked so hard for. Can you imagine those things that you've worked the hardest for, counting it as a loss, just saying it's all in the negative column? And think about... Uh, maybe all the hours you've spent practicing your instrument, 
or all the hours spent practicing whatever sport you're involved in. Countless hours, all a loss. Maybe some of the things that you've done in order of going through school and grade school, college, graduate school, med school, whatever you've gone through, counting that a loss. I mean, this is Paul, right? He spent his entire life working at trying to be saved through his works and then counting as a loss. I can't imagine this. Maybe all the time you put into your craft, your, whether it's your job or a hobby or just countless hours, countless drops of sweat, countless energy you've spent and then to count it as a loss. That's a humbling thing, right? It puts us at the bottom and it puts Christ at the top. But here when he says it's counted as a loss, it's not like it's a loss that he's missing. This is a loss like you're losing body fat, right? You don't really miss it when it's gone. You're like, okay, good, I don't really want it back. You're not really losing it. It's, it's gone, you don't want it back, keep it away. Now Paul isn't saying that his knowledge of the Torah, his knowledge of the, this Old Testament scriptures was useless, He's not saying it wasn't of value to him at all because we know he quotes the Old Testament as he shares the gospel. He knows it well, and that's useful in him and his understanding of Christ now. So it's not that the things that we accomplish here on earth are useless and that we can't use them for God's glory at all. That's not what we're saying. But in order to gain Christ, if you had to choose between your accomplishments or Jesus, which would you think is better? In our day and age here in America, there are a lot of things that are at our fingertips that we could want to reach for that we think would bring us value and worth. I don't know if many of you knew this, but even with social media, that's one of the leading causes in depression in teenagers is a massive amount of time on social media. I don't know if you're aware of this. Because it's the comparison game of do they have a better life than me? The one thing of social media, you have to have value. If you're not on this platform, then you won't be, nobody will talk to you, and then you lose value, you lose your worth. It's not always on comparing on who has a better life. It's the, the necessity of keeping the update, make sure your life looks amazing to everybody else. But it's really the mantra of every label that's out there as well, that if you just buy this product, If you just eat this food, then you will be healthier and feel better about yourself, and that's what it's all about, just feeling better about you. Or if you just wear these clothes, then people will think that you are cooler than what you are. Or if you just have this profession or this career, if you achieve this accomplishment in your life, then you will be fulfilled. If you just reach this status at your job, if you just have this job, then you will be fulfilled, then your life will matter. And sometimes we believe them, don't we? We Christians who have a relationship, the one who created the world, even now sometimes we believe them that these accomplishments actually matter more than what Christ says about me. What accomplishments do you bank on? Have you been trying to find your worth in those accomplishments, your value? Say, I don't know who I am if I don't have this. I don't have this job, if I don't have this hobby or this thing that everybody knows me for, then who am I? Have we thought about maybe trading in your accomplishments for the sake of Christ? Have you ever thought about that before? What if God asked you today, 
What if he said, I want you to trade in your job, what you're doing, what you've worked all these years (laughs) building up. I want you to trade it in and become a missionary. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what you might say? (laughs) It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to do that, get rid of their job and be a missionary. But I just want you to think, what value are you putting in your accomplishments? Or maybe it's just simply, now now that you're at your job, are you willing to share Christ with the people you're around? Are you willing to consider me better than your accomplishments? Would it hold you back from getting that promotion? Would you hold you back from those friendships that you have sharing Christ? Is it really worth it? Is it worth it? In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What are some things that you've done this last week that glorify God? In your morning routine, what did you do that helped you to glory in Jesus instead of just trying to get ahead in your accomplishments? What did you do this week that caused others to glory in Jesus Christ? These things that Paul considered as gain in his life to earn God's favor are counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is saying that it is worth leaving his way of thinking It was worth leaving all his accomplishments in order to obtain Christ. You think he'd be willing to do that? If it came to that, would you be willing? For the sake of Christ, would you be willing to maybe um, venture out into some new relationships in order to share him with others? Is Christ worth it? Knowing Knowing Christ Jesus is better than your everything else. 8a. It says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, in verse 7, as he was speaking of specifically of this salvation, this gain that he thought he could earn it, but now it's only through Christ, so he had to get rid of that way of thinking. There was at a point at which you either trust your accomplishments, confidence in your flesh, or this Christ's sacrifice on the cross, your confidence in Christ. Now Paul moves into counting everything as loss compared to knowing Christ. This is where it gets real. (laughs) Again, when God saved Paul on the road to Damascus, he was still breathing threats against the church. He was on his way to persecute more Christians when Jesus intervened and saved him from his sins. Paul could have done a number of things with his life. He was a very educated man. Just because he came to know Christ uh, didn't mean he lost his knowledge of those things. And he could have said, okay, now that I'm saved, I'm just going to stop persecuting Christians. I'll just, I'll just stop with that. He could have just said, well, this Jesus, it's good for me. <laughs> I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I know Christ. But I'm not really going to push it on other people because it might hurt the relationships that I have. I mean, again, he's a prominent member of society here. He said, this could really cost me a lot. So I'm just, I'm not going to say much. I might share something here or there, you know, if an opportunity comes up. But I'm not going to really push it. He could have said that. could have said, Christ doesn't define me. I'm, I'm glad I'm saved, but I'm still a Pharisee, first and foremost. I'm still somebody who just follows the law. I'm still going to keep doing that. He could have said that. 
could have just said, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but that's not going to change my direction in my life here and now. The list of accomplishments that he had was put in the lost column. Now he puts everything else in that lost column compared to knowing Christ. Listen how Jesus puts it in Matthew 16, 24. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Those are pretty definitive words. Does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Almost as if it's not a choice that when you come to know Christ, you must renounce all of it. You have to. In order to follow Christ, you have to say everything else is not worth as much as knowing Jesus. It's almost as if you cannot really be saved if you think everything else is still more important in your life than Jesus. Like, I'm saved, but really, I don't care much about him anymore. I'm still going to do my own thing. It's almost like those two don't go together. Paul's saying here, counting everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, there's so many things in our life that we have set up that are good things that we kind of put on a pedestal, maybe in place of where Jesus should be. We have friends and family, right? Friends and family are good. God has ordained the family. That's a good thing. We have our social status. We have our health. We have money. We have a variety of things that God has blessed us with that are our good things, but where do we put them in relationship to where Jesus is? If we were to set them up and rank them, one, two, three, four, five, not just on what we would say here in church, because we all know the right answer, right? <laughs> but how our life looks, what would we say is of first importance? We have these rights here in America, right? We have our First Amendment, Second Amendment rights here in America. And sometimes when those rights might look like they're going to get shot down, what do we do? Sometimes we flip out, right? We go nuts all over social media. We say we can't believe all these things that are happening in the world today. What about if Jesus was shot down, <laughs> What about if people are making fun of your Lord and Savior? I'm not saying we should go nuts on social media and just go on a tirade. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just wondering, do we get as worked up and as passionate about our Savior, Jesus Christ, who saved us from eternity in hell? Do we get as worked up and passionate about loving him than we do even maybe our rights here in America? Or even our family? I love my family. But should they be number one over Jesus? No. Should my friends be number one over Christ? Should I love them more than I love Jesus? No. The social media, my status with, among other people, 
the money that I have, if it comes to my money or Jesus, who should I, who should I serve? Right? You can only have one master. So when it comes to these choices that we have in our lives, what do you choose? Again, I, I am preaching this not because I have it all together. I'll be just upfront and honest with you right now. I kind of did not want to preach this passage, all right? Because this has been convicting to me for the last few weeks as I've been thinking about this. It's been difficult even looking at my own life and thinking, how am I going to get up here and tell you that you should love Jesus more than anything when I have these areas in my life that I am not loving Jesus more than these things? How can I do that? Again, it's because it's the Word of God. I have to share with you what the Word of God says, even if I'm the first one to preach it to myself. And I need to work on this myself. We still need to hear it. We still need to be challenged by the Word. We can't skip over parts. Trust me, I would not preach much of the Bible if I had to skip over all the parts that I'm not doing perfectly. Okay? We're not going to cover much of the Bible at all. So do you see times in your life that you're choosing other things over knowing Christ? How many times do we choose our phones, just being on them, or the TV, more than we choose to love Christ? I am guilty of that more than the next. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus dies so that you and I no longer have to live for ourselves. It's almost as if living for ourselves is a bad thing, right? It says you don't have to do it anymore. Because God understands that us living for ourselves, what that ends in. We're never going to live up to even our own expectations. We're going to sin and fail over and over again. So you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to live in sin, you don't have to say yes to those selfish desires that you have. He says, you can live for me. That's why he died. So we don't have to live for ourselves anymore. He says, because of their surpassing worth, and back here in the verse, count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And he says, my Lord. Counting everything that he's worked for as a loss. Now he can see how much more valuable Jesus Christ is. Now that he has him, now that he can call him my Lord, Paul knows that Jesus, Jesus' worth is surpassing. It goes beyond the value of anything else that you could have in your life. Surpassing worth of Christ, it surpasses even your family. It surpasses your friends. It surpasses your phone. It surpasses sports. It surpasses everything out there. Christ is more valuable. I encourage you to flip over with me to Psalm 63. This is another one of those things where I really don't want to read this passage (laughs) because it's convicting. And if you're daring enough Would you ask yourself this question as we read just the first few verses? Are you daring enough to ask the question, could I honestly say these things about God? Psalm 63, 
page 479 in your pew Bibles. Could I honestly say these things about God? If you're daring enough to ask that question, I'd encourage you to do that. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. <laughs> hmm. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. How many of you are daring enough to say, could I honestly say these things about God? My flesh faints for you. <laughs> I, I thirst for you. I earnestly seek you, not just when it's convenient, not just when it's Sunday mornings, but my life earnestly seeks you. This chapter convicts me. I don't know if it does you as well. But here is a person looking at, looking forward to when Christ would be crucified on the cross and save his people from their sins. And, and now Paul, as he is able to look back, I think about David here, and I think about Paul in Philippians 3, and I wonder, why is their love for God more than mine? Why do they seem to love God a lot more than I do? I mean, just the way that they talk about their Lord and their God, this earnestness, this surpassing worth. Do I love God that much? Do I really love Jesus with that surpassing worth. It's probably because I've allowed a lot of things to come in between me and my Savior. I've allowed my accomplishments. Look what I've done. Look at me, all these things that I've accomplished in my life. I've allowed my phone to come in between me and my Savior. I've allowed a variety of things to come in my life that has distanced me from seeing how great and awesome Jesus is. But compared, comparing all those things in my life to Jesus, he is really worth it. Aaron Zillman shared a quote in Youth Team last Wednesday from the conf cross conference that she went to, and I really fit well with this message. It's by Zane Pratt. He said this, Never be satisfied with a view of God that doesn't shatter every sense of self-importance. <laughs> There's probably a reason why we might not consider Jesus as surpassing worth because we think we're pretty important. We think we're pretty good. Our lives are fine. Maybe our view of Jesus is just so small that that's why he's not worth it as much to us. Maybe we just think God is small, we are big. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what you'd fill in this blank I hope something has popped in your mind and maybe you have a chance to fill that in now. Maybe it's something that you might need to preach to yourself. <laughs> having Christ, tell yourself, Pastor Matt, having, don't forget, having Christ is more valuable than this. Maybe it's just something you just need to preach to yourself and remind yourself of this week and following weeks. But what is it for you? What have you allowed to steal your affections away from your Savior? I want us to take a moment right now, and we're going to do something a little different, and it's okay because I'm a little different. 
So it works. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want us to take time right now and just silent prayer just with you, between you and God. I don't want you to wait to get out of your car, drive home, wait for you to arrive at home because a lot of things can distract us from this point and by the time there's a lot of things that can come, a lot of things that can happen. But if something maybe came to your mind, maybe the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart this, this morning and there's something in your life that you need to confess your sin to him, saying, this has been more important to me than you have, God. Please forgive me. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So just with your ha- heads bowed and eyes closed, just take a moment to pray this morning. Lord, we confess our sin to you. The many times in our day where we think other things are more important than bringing you glory and loving you, where we choose ourself more than we choose to serve others or to, to love you. Lord, we pray that you'll forgive us and help us to repent and to turn from that sin and turn towards Christ, turn towards your word. For those things in our life that are important to us and that we love that you have blessed us with, Lord, I pray that we use those things, use those relationships that we have to bring you glory, to show off our love for you. May we use the, the things that you've given us, our phones and our, our families and our friendships that we have, help us to use those to glorify you, not just so that we can gain something, that you would be honored, you'd be glorified, and that we can just show off our love for you this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.